Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So my family and I, we are going away camping uh, for a couple of weeks and to test out whether our relationships would make it through camping, um, we decided that we would go away for a couple of days and we did that a few months ago. And, you know, just to try to test it out, the durability of our relationships. And we passed the test, so we're going to do it again. But when we went, we set up the tent, and we, uh, on the very first afternoon that we arrived there, we went straight down to the beach, and we were walking along the sand. And I want to explain to you something about my kids. For those of you that don't know, I have three kids, and they love to explore. Um, They love to pick up everything. That's, I really mean it, like everything that's on the ground, if it's on the ground, they're interested in it. Rubbish, whatever it is, they want to pick it up and play with it, and they found it and whatever, so, but we're on the beach, and my son Isaac, uh, I hear him say, dad, 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 look at this, right? And I didn't know what was going on, so I turn around, and he's got something in his, in his hand, and he says, dad, dad, look, he says, I found this squishy thing, Right? And I didn't know what squishy thing it was, but I took a photo of it, and I think we've got it for you right here. So he has um, in his hand, for those of you that don't know, this is a blue bottle jellyfish, okay? And he's squeezing it in his hand. And I had a moment, and I said to him, I said, put that thing down. And so he, he, he put it on the ground. And then there was this moment in time where we kind of froze and I didn't know if it had stung him. And I I don't know how this works. So I don't know if this is a moment where the sting is still coming, but there's a delay. Do Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like if you've got kids, you absolutely know what I'm talking about. If a child gets hurt, they take in a breath. The longer the breath, the louder the scream. The longer the delay, the louder the scream, right? Okay, so so... There's a delay. I don't know what's happening here. So I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and we're just exchanging these looks. And I said, are you okay? And he said, I think I am. And I said, can you feel anything? He's like, no. I said, does it sting? He said, no. And then we just figured that it was okay. And I'm telling you, Isaac is like the animal whisperer. He's the only child that could pick up like a blue bottle jellyfish and squeeze it in his hand and walk away unscathed. (laughs) And so he did... And he held it, but, but there was this delay in between um, when he was holding it and when it, I thought that he might feel it, okay? And the Bible tells us that sin is a lot like that. If you handle it now, there's a penalty to pay later on. And sometimes we get the sting now, but later on we, we have to deal with the penalty. And for those of you that just wouldn't even be aware um, of what sin is, I always like to take the time, especially at Easter, to explain it, because if I don't, then you're going to miss a lot of what we talk about today, okay? So sin is, is not this list of things that you shouldn't do. I know that's what a lot of people think it is. It's not just a list of things that you should avoid in life. And if you do one of them, you're in trouble. You know, that's, that's not really what sin is. In fact, if you were going to be really honest, sin is, is so broadly defined It actually means to miss the mark in terms of your design and intention. You should know that God has made you for eternity. He's made you to be in relationship with him. And and people have this way of making mistakes. Yeah? 
So when they make a mistake and they move outside of what God has planned for them, that, that puts them in a place we call error. We have a word for that. We call, it, we call it sin. And sin is not just things that you should avoid. It's things that you should do. Did you know that? The sin isn't just about the things that you shouldn't do. It's about the things that you absolutely need to do. And so you can't go through life just avoiding everything and think that you're okay because the truth is, is that God has asked us to do some things. And those things we, we need to do, we need to take it seriously. And so the Bible says that the sting of sin is death. And that's really serious. Like the penalty for that error is death. But there is sometimes a delay. Sometimes we get the sting now, but the consequence we get a little bit later on. And I have noticed that you develop confidence when there's no consequence. Yeah? Everyone with kids already knows this. If you step out and nothing happens, you develop confidence that you're going to be safe to keep taking the same steps. This is how people live. Because the consequence of sin is delayed. So they confidently take steps into territory and area that the Bible would describe as wrong or, or sinful place, but because there's no immediate effect, then they develop confidence. And this is a bad thing because you can develop confidence in the wrong area too, you know? Um, I, I did this, you know, a couple years ago. Sarah and I, we went on a, on a missions trip, actually. We went over to Thailand and I was just telling the story last week. We love to eat hot food. We love eating hot food. So Thailand was great for us. And, and we went out with some people, some Thai people that, that knew the area. They took us out to a restaurant. And they sat us down. And they said, look, what kind of food do you like to eat? I said, well, I like to eat hot food. And we love Thai food. And I said, what are the dishes that they would have here that are hot? And they said, well, you could order the following. And they took me through them. And I said, great, well, I'll have these dishes, right? So they came to me and I started eating them. And uh, as I was eating it, they were looking at me to see if they could get a response, you know, like, is it going to be too hot? And I looked at them, and in all honesty, this is a very funny conversation. I said, I've got to be honest. I said, I'm really disappointed with you I, I, because I heard that your country had hot food. And I've eaten hotter food in Melbourne. My wife cooks hotter food than this, right? And they had this look, and it kind of felt like it was time for us all to man up, you know, except for Sarah. And, and, so, and so we're standing there, and they said, would you let us order you the next dish? I said, absolutely. And they kind of smiled at each other when they said this. And so it was, it, I definitely understood what was happening. It was a challenge, but I was just ready for it. And so they said, well, we'll order the next dish. Now, I don't really know. I didn't even know what they ordered for me. But when it came out, it kind of looked like ground beef. And that's all it was. There was nothing else in it, just ground beef. And so I ate it. And have you ever had somebody watch you while you eat and they start to move their mouth while you're eating it? It's like they're going through the experience with you. And so I'm eating it and I know what's happening. They're looking at me and they're like, you're so dead. And, 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 I'm, and as I'm eating it, right, I put the spoon down and I said, I got to be honest, guys, I expected more. They couldn't believe it. They looked at me and they said, no Westerner can eat food this hot. So you don't know anyone like, like me, you know. So, so I ate it, right, and, and we just kind of got on with the rest of the meeting. And there's a but. This, this dish had what I would call a slow burn, okay? It had a slow burn, and 
I ate it and I finished the whole bowl inside 10 minutes. I reckon that burn kicked in about the 11 minute mark, right? And my mouth was on fire, but because I'd manned up so much, I just didn't feel like I could tell them about it. But I was calling people over for water like you wouldn't believe. I'm like, let's get some more water. You guys want water? I'll have some water. Let's get some water, you know? And and, and we did because it was a slow burn, right? The Bible says that sin is just like that, you know? It's, it's this slow burn. It's a thing that you don't experience necessarily immediately, but it happens later on. I didn't know when, after that first mouthful that I couldn't handle it. God knew there was a whole heap of things that we couldn't handle. So you know what he did? He gave us guidelines for what not to handle. He gave some of these guidelines to a man named Adam. And Adam pretty much had the run of everything. You could do anything you want, but the one thing we don't want you to do is to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, you guessed it. And if you don't know the story, at the end of the day, he ate the fruit, you know, and he basically ignored everything that God had told him not to do. I want to read a scripture to you. It comes out of Romans chapter 5. It begins in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, that one man is the man I was just talking about. It was Adam. Sin came into the world through that one man, and death, which was the penalty of sin, death through sin. And so death spread to all men. This is why Adam has a protective detail on him at all times in heaven, because death spread to all men, because all sinned. It was a consequence of the door that he opened for humanity. It says in verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Now, let me just explain that very briefly. God gave a man named Moses long after Adam the law. The law was designed to help people to know what they should and should not do. And the Bible says that sin was in the world before the law was actually given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. So God's kind of gracious in the sense that because some people didn't know what they were doing, he was gracious towards them in that, you know, in in their actions and their behavior. And yet, despite the fact that he was gracious, the penalty still reigns. Listen to what it says in verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And now it says something really important. It says, who was a type of the one who was to come. To let you know what that means, Adam was a type of the one to come. He was a human. And he was saying that humans would ultimately be represented really from two people. It could be under what Jesus did on the cross, or it could be under what Adam did in the garden. And these covenants or these agreements would ultimately represent humanity. Now, I, I would go ahead and say this right now. Death I agree with you, seems like a particularly harsh consequence for eating a piece of fruit. I would go as far as to say eating a piece of fruit and now you're going to die for it seems a little disproportionate in terms of the consequence. But as I've said so many times, it's not about the fruit. It's not about the fruit. The fruit really just was this representation that humanity was saying to God, we don't really want to do things the way that you've told us to do it. We don't want to live the way that you've told us to live. And in that moment, I want you to imagine, I want you to picture it. It's like Adam and Eve turned their backs to God. We would call that rebellion, to turn their backs to God. 
And the problem that death is the consequence to is the problem of rebellion. When Adam opened that doorway, it was, it was like a doorway to death that no one was able to shut. And because we inherited some things from Adam, right, it's now our problem. Okay, so if you're new to church and you say, that's great for Adam, this has got nothing to do with me. Oh, yes, it does. And here's where it gets real. Because of what Adam did, it now touches you. And he, had, he developed what we would call a sin nature. And that thing is in you too. And it's the ability to choose sin. It's the ability to go against God. Now, that was a door that we absolutely were not able to close. And if you're new, this is where it gets real. That sin meant separation from God. That sin meant separation from God. And, uh, and Eve, Adam's wife, she wasn't, she wasn't happy about it. And Adam, after he had done it, he wasn't happy about it. I can promise you this, God, he was, he was not happy about it. In fact, God was really devastated at the fact that the people that he loved would turn their backs on him, but there was this one guy that was really happy about it. He actually wanted this to happen. We call him the devil, and he celebrated this moment when humanity turned their back on God because he knew the consequences that were attached to it. I would say to you, it is not good to celebrate the misfortunes of others, but I, they say confession is good for the soul, so I'm going to confess something right here this morning. Is that all right with you? All right, three people said yes, I'm going to go with it. So my family and I, we, um, particularly my kids, we have this one Facebook page that we love to watch. It's called Fail Army. <laughs> and it's really, if you, if you don't have Facebook, do yourself a favor and don't get it. But if you already got it, then maybe not now, but later, just look up Fail Army, right? And I dare you not to laugh, because what it is is a compilation of people that just keep hurting themselves. <laughs> And I love it. And my kids love it. And we laugh at a lot of people. And we think it's great. And the longer the clips, the more we laugh, you know, because we enjoy watching it. I know it's not good to celebrate the misfortunes of others, but it's too good. So, so anyway, we, we enjoy it. But you know, the other thing that we get to see is we get to watch them walk away. And the reason that the devil celebrated it is because he knew that when we opened the door to rebellion and the penalty of sin was death, he knew that this was something that humanity could not walk away from. And he had created his own fail army, millions of them, billions of them all over the world that continue to make mistakes and continue to not get it right. And the reason why all of this is so important is that you need to understand something. The only way for to end the reign of death is for one of us to resist what we inherited from our father, Adam. It would be for one of us not to sin. And the reason why this is so important is that it's impossible. I told you that God gave Moses the law, 613 commandments. I mean, they had to try to obey all of these things and they couldn't get it right. They couldn't pass the test. No one could do it. The devil had his fail army. And he watched millions of people suffer the penalty of sin, which was death. He would watch millions of people suffer that. He celebrated it, but God had a plan. I want to read a scripture to you. It comes out of Micah. 
Micah chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. It says this, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall what? When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I love that. To me, it speaks of Him coming to find us when we can't help ourselves. He'll come find me. I'll bear the indignation of the Lord. Why? Because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Um, When I read that scripture, I felt like God was putting the devil on notice. (laughs) You celebrated too early. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, because God has a plan. And God is about to plead my cause. And on Good Friday, God pleaded. But the plan had a price. And the plan was to send Jesus in the likeness of man, that he would come and that he would be like one of us and that he would do what no one in history had ever been able to accomplish. He would do it. He would come and he, he would represent us. He would be the second Adam. He would represent humanity and do what none of us could do. I love that God would send himself into the situation to save us since we were incapable of saving ourselves. And he grew up reading uh, the scriptures, knowing what he was there for. In fact, go to the next scripture. This is what he says straight out of Isaiah. Anytime now. Here's one I've prepared earlier. He says this. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Do you know what that means? It means that when he was going to be tortured on the cross... He would be so tortured that you would not be able to recognize him as a human being. That's how bad it's going to get. I don't know what hopes and dreams you've got for the rest of your life, but if you were a young child growing up, reading the scriptures and understanding that that was what you were there for, that was the reason why you came to planet Earth. Man, that, I don't know about you, but that would scare me a lot. But Jesus knew it. I mean, he knew what he was there for. He had read the scriptures. He told his disciples in so many ways. In fact, he said it this way. He said, uh, the Son of Man will be glorified. Glorified, really, what he meant was, yeah, he'll be glorified. But before, before that happens, he'll have to be betrayed. He'll have to be sacrificed. He'll have to be tortured. And then, yes, of course, he'll be glorified. But my point is, is that Jesus knew. Jesus knew. The disciples knew. And on the day we call good, God gave. And he gave Jesus. And we talk a lot about the fact that God gave. For he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever should believe in him will never perish but have eternal life. We talk about the fact that God gave, but you know what? So did Jesus. We talk about the fact that God gave his son, but you know, as I read the story, I realize that Jesus could have escaped any time he wanted to. He didn't 
I mean, he didn't have to do that. And we know that God sent him to do it. I understand that. I agree with you, right? But when he was there, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to wait in the garden of Gethsemane where he knew his friend Judas would betray him and lead a whole heap of soldiers to come and arrest him. He could have prayed anywhere. He went to the place they knew to find him in. He didn't, he didn't have to do that. From the garden, he was taken from there and they dragged him before the Sanhedrin, which was the religious board. Uh, if you can imagine that time made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, just religious leaders. And they, they took him before the Sanhedrin and they questioned him. People came in and they were telling lies about him. They were saying different things. In fact, you know, they were not good planners because they couldn't even get their lies straight. Because everyone sort of contradicted the other. They really had a hard time trying to hang something on Jesus. And they get to the end of this mock trial that really shouldn't have even happened. It was actually illegal to even hold a trial. But, but they get to this mock trial and, and, and they get there and they realize we're stuck and we still can't get this guy. And then the high priest, he asks him a very specific question that's written in the text, but you probably haven't noticed it unless you understand what you're reading. It's called the oath of testimony. This is how it works. They ask Jesus one final question and they put him before God and they say, you have to answer this question right. And now you have to answer it before God because they realize we've, we, we cannot pin anything on him. Our best hopes is that he will hang himself. And they ask him the question. And they said, are you, are you the Christ? And he says, I am. When he answered the words, I am, he was saying that he was God. It's a reference to God. And the moment that he said that, they cried out, blasphemy. And they took him from that place and they took him before Pilate, and they wanted him to, to punish Jesus. And as this thing, the whole thing begins to fold out, you see that Jesus has walked through the toughest things that you've ever gone through. He's walked through things that you'll never have to go through. If you've ever been betrayed, he's been there. If anyone's ever told a lie about you, he knows how you feel. He was betrayed by his friends. He was lied about. He was beaten. He was whipped. I know when you read this, the passage, when you read the scriptures, it kind of makes reference to this part where it says that he was whipped. But if you know what really happened, commentators and experts will say that as they whipped him, it was likely that the bones of his spine were exposed as they whipped him. You would be able to see his ribcage and flesh would be torn from his back. He was tortured. He was beaten. And ultimately hung on the cross. And you know, here, they made him carry his own cross. He was humiliated before that. I know sometimes you see pictures of Jesus and he's up on the cross and he's got like a, some kind of sash that's wrapped around him. That's there for you, but not for him because he was naked. The whole thing was designed to shame him. They put a purple robe on him which purple is the color of royalty. They're saying, hey, you think you're a king? You're no king to us. That's why they made the crown. 
the crown of thorns. They didn't rest it on his head. They drove it into his skull as blood poured down his face, spine exposed. They said, now carry your own cross. And he couldn't even do it. He tried to, but along the way, they, the Bible says that they compelled a man to help him carry his own cross because he just collapsed under the weight of it. I don't even know how he got that far, but he did. And the man carries it to the top and he, they lay the cross down and they, they put the nails into the most sensitive part of your body, which is your hand. It's all your nerve endings and that are in there. And they, they put three nails, one through each hand and then one through both of his feet at the same time. And they lift him up. And sometimes you become so familiar with the story that you forget the emotional intensity of it. And I read that and refresh myself with the story again today. And there he is hanging on the cross. There he is lifted up before everyone to see. And you know the thing that really gets me? It's in that moment when he's got the nails in his hands, when he's been abused and tortured and beaten in every way, he manages to find the words, Father, forgive them. And I hope somebody, I hope there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus, just so I could tell you that the God that we serve is the God that can look into a face that hates him and says, I still love you. And he, he finds the words, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And then later there's this, this section of scripture right after that. And if you read what commentators say, they say, this is such a strange thing to say. Because he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he already knew, right? Didn't he know? That's why he made a point of telling you that he knew. So that you would know that he knew. So the disciples knew. And he knew, but then in the middle of the pain, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Even at his trial, he says these words to Pilate, this is the purpose for why I have come. This is why I'm here. And then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason that he cried out, it was not just the excruciating pain that he went through. It was the pain of separation from the Father. I told you that sin brought separation. Well, he became sin for us so that sin could be punished on the cross. And so in that moment, even though you don't see it, we know spiritually speaking in the heavenlies, right? God was pouring out his wrath on Jesus in that moment. He experienced separation from the Father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was in a place before the promise. And he knew what was about to happen. But he was still in a place before the promise. Have you ever experienced that? When you know that God has promised you good things, but you're still in a place and you're not there yet. And the disciples were devastated. Their Savior had died. They were in a place before the promise. He had explained it to them in so many ways and still they failed to understand it. They were in a place before the promise. You know what I think? I think one of the hardest things that you can do sometimes in life is just wait. Really, just wait. Just wait for God to come and fix your circumstances. Just wait for God to come and 
Maybe it's changed your marriage. Just wait for God to come and heal your son. Just wait for God to come and save your uncle. Just wait for God to come and fix the issue of depression that is in your mind on a daily basis. It's relentless and you're praying for God to heal you, but you're not there yet. You know where you are. You're in a place before the promise. You're not there yet. And even Jesus knows what it feels like to be in a place before the promise. His words give him away. But even though some of us are waiting on a diagnosis, even though some of us are waiting for God to come and heal, even though some of us are waiting for God to come and save, I just wanted to let you know, in case you weren't already aware, that Sunday is coming. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ was just as secure on Friday as it was on Sunday. It was no less secure on Friday. But sometimes things just have a way of having to roll out. But I get it, you're waiting. I understand that you're not there yet. And I know that today there are so many people who have prayed prayers and you're still waiting for God to come and to do something to shift a mountain in your life, to heal a sickness that's in your body, to cure some depression that's in your mind, to raise somebody that's so sick lying in their bed right now, to raise them up from the position that they're in. I know sometimes you're waiting, but His promises are just as secure today as they are before they happen tomorrow. They're just as secure today. And one of the things I love most about God is that He doesn't just predict the future, He's in it. And you would do well to remember that. Because sometimes when you hear something, it's like we become so accustomed to bad news that we just receive it so readily, forgetting that God is able to change it. And if you were to take something away from today, please let it be that whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstance you're facing, God is able to change it. He is able to do above, abundantly above what you think, hope, or imagine. I don't know about you. I've got a pretty good imagination. The Bible says that God's able to exceed that. Sunday is still coming. God stands in the future. You do know, of course, when God says, here's where you're going to be, that he's already there. So it's not a hope for him. It's an absolute certainty. But he speaks back to you in the present. And he says something better is coming. I've learned that the prediction of something better that's coming doesn't always take away the pain of the present. But it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And it doesn't mean that God's not going to be with you in this moment. I love that our Savior is so committed to us. He's so much more committed to us than we ever are to Him. Do you know what He says? He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Maybe some of you have tried to walk away from Him, but He said, I'll never leave you. And Him leaving you is not contingent on what you do with your life. That's His plan to never leave you, to never forsake you. So I know Good Friday is a... It's a day where we think about what Jesus did. We remember the sacrifice that he made. We remember how difficult it is. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not waiting till Sunday to start praising. I'm not. 
waiting till Sunday to give him some glory. Because I know on Friday, everything I hope for is just as secure now as it will be then. So I'm not looking for security in my circumstances. I look to the one who is above every situation, the one who's above every circumstance, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who's able to make all grace abound to me, the one who's able to make all grace abound to you, so that in your time, when you need a throne of grace, you can expect that you'll find mercy and He's the one that I go to. I'm not waiting till Sunday to work out what my faith says about my present circumstances. I know who my God is. And once I know who my God is, I know I can praise on Friday because it's just as secure as it is on Sunday. And I know, I know that there are so many people that right now in your life, you've got situations that look like they are out of control. I tell you, God's got this. He's got this. You might not. It's cool. He does. He has it. He's the one I'm Looking to, I want to read the rest of the story out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. He says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and he put it on a reed and he gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. At this very moment, the one I just read This is the turning point for humanity. This moment right now. And you know how we know? Because the scripture says in verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain was the divider. It was the thing that that represented the separation. It separated the people from the holy place. And God, in this moment, when Jesus gave his life, he took the curtain and he tore it and he ripped it in half. And at this very moment in the scriptures, at this very moment in human history was the moment that he said, your sin will no longer separate you from me because I have made a way where there is no way. And I know that the devil had his failed army for all of history up until this moment. But at this very moment, he said, I'll make a way where there's never been a way. I will make a way. You can come to me now. You can come to me now. You can, there's no separation between us. He tore the curtain in two. He wants to know you. He wants to be close to you. It goes on to say that after this moment, when the temple, in the temple, when it was, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rock split. I've never seen an earthquake do that. It says that the 
the tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of their tombs after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared before many. What a strange sight that would be. And then a centurion. And those who were with him kept watch over Jesus and they saw the earthquake and they saw what had taken place and they were filled with awe and they said truly, this, this was the Son of God. This was him. He was there. Truly this, this, this man named Jesus was the Son of God and with one act of righteousness, as the Bible says, one act of righteousness, He took that fail army and he changed it and he turned it into his faithful. He took what was failure and he made them faithful. He took the people, men and women that fail, and he said, I'm going to change it. I'm going to make them faithful men and women of God because I'm going to do something in them that's going to change their future. And I tell you right now, he did this then, and he's not even close to being finished yet because there are men and women who are walking through failure. Maybe that's you today. And you know what it feels like to walk through failure. You keep messing up. You keep screwing up. You know, it's not just the people. It's not just the people that don't know Jesus that walk in failure. Many of the Christian people that I know That's where they struggle the most because they realize what God has done. They understand that they're forgiven, but they continue to walk in failure. And I wanted to tell you today that what he did, it didn't just cover the sins for history. It didn't just cover people's present sins, but it covered all of the future ones that you would ever do, that I would ever do. The one thing that we've got in common is that we are all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet it doesn't seem to matter because God comes for us. He said... I will be the light in the darkness. I will come for you. I will plead your cause. And we will wait for his vindication. Well, that already happened. And we actually get to live in the presence of that right now. And I understand, and I know this to be true, that men and women everywhere who don't even know who he is, he's still reaching them. The saving hasn't been finished. The saving hasn't been done. He's still doing it. He's still doing a work today. I tell you something right now. The devil is a liar. I'll tell you right now. He celebrated too early. And God took his failed army and he turned it into an army of faith-filled believers. Men and women that love God and would give their lives for him. As we see unfolds in the rest of human history. Trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.